I'm Rob. And welcome to episode 43 of the Stream Bucket Podcast. Yes, look at us go. <laughs> Every bloody... I know. I know. <laughs> Think of a new intro styles at some yeah. point. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, welcome to another Stream Bucket. We're uh, still in lockdown. We are. Lightly under the tunnel. Things yes. have been spoken about. We're um, beyond the peak. I am annoyed with what's going on with um, the fast food outlets, by the way. So, KFC released um, a list of KFCs that are reopening. Okay. I don't know if they're doing delivery or whatever, um, but, or it was McDonald's or it was both of them. I read down the list of all the towns, and it's literally like there's a circle of nothing <laughs> around us. Like really? We have to travel freaking miles if we want to get a McDonald's or a KFC. Hmm. And now that they've dangled it in front of me, I want a KFC. Uh, yeah, I'm not fussed by KFC, but McDonald's. I've genuinely been craving McDonald's. It's, be- it's because I associate... Because I, I get McDonald's when I go to the cinema. Yeah. So I associate at least once a week with like, little treat, you know? Yeah. Um, but yes... Uh... I think, honestly, when either of them open, because I would like some KFC gravy, I am going to just buy about 15 quid's worth of stuff <laughs> and go in. I mean, all these small places are... Popping back up. Town Hit- Town Fryer's just opened up, hasn't it again? Yeah, uh, Hitchin is a is a town of independent shops, and there's lots of uh, green grocers here and a baker bakery. Mm. Massive queues outside. It's obviously the only place. The one I'm thinking of. Quotation. Quotidian. Quotidian. Yeah. Yes. Uh, very popular with the trendies. Yeah. I've heard very good coffee. Yeah. And they're not paying us, so maybe you should. If I could say your name. What would you mean? Quotidian. Quotidian, what? We've, we've named them. Oh, yeah, pay us and, and give us coffee. Hang, what, 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 coffee what? and pastries. Hang on, we can have a real outside world coffee right now, if we wanted to. I, we, um, if they're not open on Sunday. Certain days, yeah. But on a certain day, we can get yeah. a real... Yeah, 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 yeah. It oh, was my open, oh, my God. It was open on Thursday when I walked past. Okay, yeah, I'm going to do that. Later. Interesting. I want, I want to laugh, hey? support to independent businesses. Yeah, ex- exactly. Uh, but, yeah, so uh, it's it's all fun. We've we've been keeping busy, and we've kept some of you at home busy, too. Yes. More on that later. Uh, Patreon listeners will know that on our smaller, little, hidden, exclusive podcast, that last week was Alien Day. Oh, yes. And I watched Alien 1, 2, and 3. Mm. Not Resurrection. No, I, I ran out of time. Okay, fair I'd enough. like to. I like Resurrection. So do I. It's very silly. It's very silly. It's it's Firefly. It's yeah. proto-Firefly. Yeah. 
all your sort of dirty dozen characters doing ridiculous things. Uh, one of the best scenes, the one that's referenced most. Kill me. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> but I would also say that uh, as a little treat, I went for my walk last Sunday um, and was listening to an audiobook, Aliens Bug Hunt. Ooh. I was going to say, this is really good because I'm, I'm really touched on any of the books and stuff. This is really interesting. It's a it's a collection of short stories from different authors, all based around the Marines from Aliens. Because there's one line, there's one throwaway line: "Is this a stand-up fight or is this a bug hunt? Another bug hunt?" Right. Implying that they've dealt with stuff before. Wow. Uh, so that's what this is. It's just a bunch of short stories, collection of short stories of different alien encounters with these. These are the alien films we should have had. These, well, are the, these are the ones, these are the stories we needed, not Covenant. Uh, I'd like to hear about these Marines and their, their galactic adventures fighting the space bugs. It does make you wonder, because obviously Avatar you could reframe to be an Aliens mm. world setting. Yeah. Because they're basically the same Marines. It would be cool to see more Marine stuff like yeah. that. Absolutely. I mean, Slash of Troopers is the only one I can think of that's yeah, sort too. of similar. It's just people don't like military stuff, I think. No. Slasher Troopers works because it's a satire. Yeah. You have to do it in a way that isn't too um, Independence Day in its propaganda. Yeah. Have to be, oh, um, Independence Day 2, I suppose. Kind of. Yes. But yeah, that's all I've really been watching. What have you been watching? Um, I've been watching uh, two things. And the first thing I'll talk about is um, what I imagine is going to be the cult animation of the year in terms of Netflix. It's called The Midnight Gospel. I'm sure some of you have already watched it. I've seen the preview on Netflix. So it's based on uh, a podcaster by the name of Duncan Trussell who who interviews people. And so the story is they've turned it into this uh, character who is a space podcaster. And he has this machine that gives him access to simulated planets yes the machine looks like a, v- a vagina a vagina a vagina yes. yeah and he goes to these planets and then he interviews in the first episode he interviews the president of what is a simulation of earth during a zombie apocalypse okay and he's just interviewing the president and they're talking about um the culture and the rights and wrongs of drugs and weed and stuff and it's very stonery studenty the first one so I was kind of like at this point I was thinking oh this is too much they're trying too hard to appeal to the stoners it's very much an animation for stoners but then the second one they're talking to this he goes to a universe where there's these cow he goes to a clown planet the clowns okay. you think are nice, but they're actually fighting these weird tusked fat dogs that look a bit like Okja um and then they're taken to the clown slaughterhouse. The clowns are slaughtering these dog oh, clowns. Oh, 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 sorry. Right, yeah, okay. no, the clowns are the slaughterers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But while they're on this conveyor belt, about to be taken to be, like, squashed into flesh, into, like, goo. Yeah. He's interviewing this cow about <laughs> about <laughs> cancer and about her experience with her dad getting brain cancer. I think, if I can remember quickly, I was very hungover when I was watching it, very confused. Okay. And he continues the interview as they're mushed into a pulp and squashed and grinded up. And they're just eyeballs and mouths floating as they're going through these tubes. 
and it, and it's a really like interesting deep interview. But now they're going through these pipes through the town as flesh, <laughs> and people just watching them. And there's a war starting, and the clowns are being attacked, and they. It's mental, it's really funny, and it's definitely like, I couldn't think of anything better to put on if you're like hanging and you just need to like listen to bollocks. That's really, that's, I know Duncan Trussell, he used to be a, a, a common guest on the Harmontown podcast. Right. And he's a funny man, I'm just going to wonder if he's the guy who is genuinely a big stoner advocate. Big weed advocate. Obviously, uh, most of America is now legal. North Carolina, he's from. But I think he's LA based. Um, but is he also the guy? Does he have quite a nasal voice? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's a bit unhinged. <laughs> he's a bit unhinged generally. It's mad. Um, so yes, that's that's quite interesting. But that's the really, it's animated by the Adventure Time people, isn't it? Yeah, hundred. I didn't know that, but yes. Um, <laughs> The, there are things going on during these interview processes, like little bits of animation. It's quite simplistic, but it's hilarious. Like there's a dog, he's got this dog, and it opens up, and then like the universe is inside the dog's belly, and then like a little clown baby falls into it, and it's horrible, and you realise where, where's it gone? <laughs> and there's just little really screwed up things happening in the background whilst he's yeah, that that does not surprise me at all. And he's a bit of a little bit of a dark edge. Yeah, I mean, definitely watch it. And it kind of, it reminds me of what I had in my head for when I was drawing Fishman in college 17 years ago. Oh, nice. Okay. I feel like I can't do that anymore because the the kind of tone of it. Yeah, you can. Yeah, I can. Screw it. Um, (laughs) The other thing I'll I'll quickly talk about um, is, I don't know if there's any sports fans out there. Last Dance, it's about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls in a defining season in which uh, they were just being like five-time champions champions or six-time champions of the NBA and this time their team has been torn apart because they're ready for a new generation they're worried that everyone's aging even though they're like still the best team arguably in history and it's all about them falling apart and people in the management team pulling strings that kind of create rifts and stuff and it's really really good and more importantly than anything if you are a sports fan I'm going mental because I don't have any football to watch this is kind of therapy. This is therapy for me because I don't have any sport at the moment. I need some freaking sport. <laughs> this is feeding me because I don't know anything about basketball history. Okay. And I'm, like, I'm discovering as I go along. So if you are listening and you need your sport back, watch this freaking documentary. It's therapeutic to say the least. It's really good. I watched a documentary about AI computers. Oh. Yes. But you'll hear more about that as one of the reviews on this show. Uh, what else have we got coming out on the show? Okay, so we've got the usual Fortnite schmort night. Uh, some news there, some good and bad. Uh, we're talking about what was meant to be my choice, but I. But then you had a suggestion, and it was the best suggestion ever. Well, I, I suggest I wouldn't have suggested it because I didn't want to influence Rob's choice. But there was nothing coming there out. No, no I, I, I had nothing. Contrast was your word. Contrast is not the easiest one. I know, but then I was Googling and then there was romantic comedies up. I think we were going to watch Pretty Woman at one stage. Yes. And then even then, that was that was the only romantic comedy I would have wanted to watch because um, I haven't seen it before. Because she's a hooker. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so we, we'll... Do you want to announce it now or should we announce it later? Oh, so now it's uh, Dust Till Dawn. Yes, a film that's so contrasty that the film itself is contrasty. Yeah. Itself. So <laughs> I had to I had to just accept that. Anything that I would have chosen would not have been Dust Till Dawn. So, yeah. Uh, that's great. Uh, we've got, uh, I've got reviews coming up for... Uh, 
extraction and let's talk about AI. And also, most importantly of all, we'll be talking about the results of the Screen Bucket Film Fest. Yes, we have been, we've just um, had a judging committee, myself, Adam and Josh, and we're pretty blown away by these films. Like, the quality is awesome. And some of them are very funny, some of them are very freaky. Yeah. Let's move right on to it, shall we? Yeah, absolutely. They came to party. They came from outer space. (laughs) But for these unhappy campers... Just put this thing on. Things are about to get slimy. If you go down to the woods today, you'd better keep an eye out for... Quaggers! They're mean, they're insane, and they're everywhere. And they've got an appetite for naughty campers. Starring Jody Bennett, Bailey Pillbeam, Isabel Albert, and Blake Aiden. Quaggers! They're everywhere. We are not going back in that tent. Watch it now at hollowdellmedia.vhx.tv I'm just a sweet screen bucket. So yes, the Screen Bucket Film Fest. The Screen Bucket Film Fest, our first uh, film festival. Yes, indeed. Uh, Fought up on a whim on the last show when we were talking about all the lockdown and isolation quarantine films that are going on. Uh, And we thought we'd launch our own. Yeah, with fantastic results. Yeah, a, a bizarrely international response as well. Yeah. We've had Russian, Ukraine, obviously English. Yeah. Lots of English. Lots of English people. No Americans. Let aside that, I thought we had loads of Californian listeners. Where we, have they gone? We, the rules were simple. So, film on your phone. Yep. Uh, two minutes or less. Uh, filmed in or around your house. Edited anyway. <laughs> That's about about it. Do it about anything you want. Um. So, yeah, so we asked for the deadline uh, of two weeks. People had two weeks to do it. I think most of them probably done in the last week. Mm. Probably in the last day. I think so. But, yes, we had some really interesting ones come through. Russia's an interesting place, isn't it? It's a dark, cold, <laughs> grim place by the look of the films we received. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, fair enough. It's a horror style. We like the horror. Yeah, and the Ukraine as well. Yes, did you know, do you, listeners, do you know what the little plastic nubs are on the end of your laces? No. Nor did we. They're <laughs> called aglets. And now we know very much what they're called, and they stop dreams. Yeah, you don't want to dream of aglets, do you? No, no, no. no. So that was bizarre. Uh, yes, we've had loads of uh, stop motion come in as well. My uh, my nephew Edward sent in a Transformers Zoom that was a really cool idea. It's a really good idea. Yeah. And it had the little box highlight on the around the that was great. Really well done. Um I and and, and I will, I do admit that I really want to do a voiceover for them. I know. It'd be a dream for you, wouldn't it? Zoom and roll out. Uh yeah, so we um we decided to try and launch the the festival by with some of our own submissions as yes. well. Um 
people who use our social media probably have seen them by now, or at least seen that we've been showing them off. Yeah. So we made three films. I think they were all, we had a little, when we found out about the Roger Corman Film Festival, we had a little chat, trying to work out some ideas, like throwing out some key phrases and things. Um, And I just went away and wrote three strips, short strips, that we just sort of partially ignored and just flew the coop, just flung it into the atmosphere. It was madness. I did a film about cannibals. We turned it into English gentlemen of the exotic meats industry. Yes, I was eaten. It was nice. I've always wanted to be eaten. <laughs> um, we had uh, the Josh. We had the the toilet roll. The the roll that escaped. Yep. And we had to rescue a toilet roll from out the outside world so we could continue to wipe our bottoms safely. Because mm, we're not using showers. Too French. Too French. Mm. But yeah, so uh, we uh, then made possibly the most unhinged film we've ever made. I think it is, definitely. And we've made some weird stuff. Mm. Uh, the film's called Why the Long Face. And this was inspired by a, a drunken conversation you had. Yeah, I wanted to make, I, I like the idea, we had a, a one of those silly rubber horse masks that many people have, and I thought, well, what if we wrapped it in Josh's Aztec bedding and made it some sort of horse shaman that speaks to one of us, and slowly we become unhinged by use of the horse. And Adam took that idea and turned it into a fatal occurrence of insanity, like almost Edgar Allan Poe-esque in its, um, <laughs> in its... plight of madness. Yes, I started with... Uh... Us waking up in bed together, and then that was it. Yeah, we just went from there. <laughs> that was you editing that one, and it was... I could hear what was happening in the other room, <laughs> and it was horrific. It sounded horrific. I found this one sound effect, and I was like, that's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. I have to put that in. Uh God. And then... Um, <laughs> then it went madder it went as madder. times went on. Why don't we add the horse interview, man? What's his name? John McCrurick. John McCrurick, he gets involved. <laughs> yeah, fun, 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 fun. Yeah. Um, Almost Russian. Almost Russian. <laughs> Not quite Russian. Madder. No, no, it's much lighter. But I suppose, yeah, we later on in the show, we'll be announcing our, our winners. Yeah, so the key thing is, if you're listening to this right now, you can actually go and watch the submissions on our Holodell Media 2 channel. Mm. Um, they're all on there. Have a look. See what you like. See if you agree with our prize winners later in the show. Yes, please do. Adam's Film Reviews. It's Traction 2020. They're hoping if you spin the chamber enough times, you're going to catch a bullet. It's just easy that way. This is an extraction. So who are the players? Biggest drug lord in India versus biggest drug lord in Bangladesh. It's a kidnapping. Drug lord's son. Clock's running at 16 hours. Proof of life as of six hours ago. Exactly as I say. Who are you? Written by Joe Russell and adapted from the graphic novel Coolie Dad 
possibly, Extraction is the directorial debut of seasoned MCU stuntman Sam Hargrave. A Netflix original, Extraction follows Tyler Rake, a mercenary military veteran played by the quite incredible Chris Hemsworth. Set unusually in Dhaka, Bangladesh, we're introduced to a world of crime, gangsters and thinly veiled honour codes in which a gangster's son, Ovi Mahajan, played by, oh god, Rudrakish Jaswile, is kidnapped by a competing crime lord. Furious at the dishonour of having his son kidnapped, Ovi's father demands the return of his son and a mercenary unit reminiscent of Mission Impossible's IMF team is assembled. Among them, a sharpshooter played by Chris Hargrave himself, a tech-savvy pilot, various specialists, and the man on the ground himself, Tyler Rake. Ovi's father has also forced his lead henchman Saju, played by Randeep Huda, into the fight. Making contact with the kidnappers, Tyler is himself taken hostage and forced at gunpoint to negotiate for the release of Ovi. But the tables quickly turn and we're introduced to the vicious and extreme action that the film has quickly gained a reputation for. It's unrelenting and it's awesome. Taking down the entire group of hostage takers himself, Tyler takes Ovi and the pair flee into the streets of Dhaka. So far so good, but with his own family threatened, Saju wipes out Tyler's mercenary team and is soon on the hunt for Tyler and his cargo. Meanwhile, the, the man behind the kidnap of Ovi, uh, Amir Azif, played by Piranshu Painvuli, is furious and demands the police and military in Dhaka shut the city down, pointing all their guns at Tyler in order to stop his rescue of Ovi. Demanding an extraction, Tylo is given orders to escape the city via one of the bridges and to leave Ovi behind. Soon, Tylo is single-handedly taking on violent youths, the police, the military and every gangster in between while he tries to reach his extraction point, while keeping Ovi safe and battling his own inner demons. See, that's where extraction falls down for me. It's all just a bit too... obvious. Tyler Rake is a badass, but he's a badass that falls into every action hero stereotype I can think of. Let's break it down. So we've got his male, check. Shaved, but with perma stubble, check. Uh, former military or police, check. Troubled past, check. Nothing to lose, check. Visions of an afterlife, check. Meditates in unusual ways, check. Takes multiple bullets, check. Fights dirty, check. Drinks or consumes drugs, check. One-liners or comedic outbursts when outgunned, check. And mates, you get the point. But look, that's not to say that these things aren't welcome. They're tropes for a reason. And indeed, Chris Hemsworth absolutely blew me away in this film. He oozes charisma and holds this film together. The stunt work, fight choreography and effects too make Extraction an absolute masterpiece in modern action. But oh boy... The emotional story here is paper thin. Honestly, this feels like a film that was written by a machine. It hits every beat, crowbars in every emotional cliche and drives the theme deep, deep into the ground. But it all just feels so tacked on. When the action is this good, it feels a shame that there's just so much dead weight. It's style over substance, but boy is it stylish. If you like action, and if you're not turned off by ultraviolence, Make this your next Netflix watch. Sometimes I do other things. Oh, mademoiselle, 
Would you like to have a film discussion? Oh yes, Monsieur. I love to have an in-depth film discussion with you, like I do on Scream Bucket. Everybody, be cool. You, be cool. Somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Low profile. You understand the meaning of the words low profile? Sure. Of America's most dangerous criminals have taken hostages. What is this? It's called a punch. I'm going to ask you one question, and all I want is a yes or no answer. Do you want to live through this? Yes. Okay, ramblers, let's get rambling. One night is all that stands between them and freedom. This is my kind of place. But it's going to be. One hell of a night. We might be in trouble. We have a bunch of fucking vampires out there trying to get in here and suck our fucking blood. Now, their only chance is to fight back. Oh yeah! Dusk till dawn. From Dust Till Dawn. From Dust Till Dawn. 1996, directed by the magnificent Robert Rodriguez, penned by Quentin Tarantino, starring George Clooney and Tarantino, Harvey Keitel, Keitel. Keitel. You even corrected Keitel. yourself wrong. I corrected myself wrong. Selma Hayek, Juliette Lewis. Um, yeah, it's a, what a cast and crew. What a, what a lovely selection of people it's for a, a film. It's f- a magnificent cast. There's even... Cameos from Tom Savini, the special effects master, the uh, John Saxon, the most police police man, yeah, the, the, ever the policeman man, Cheech, Cheech was twice. It, was he in out of, Color Out of Space as well? Was it, was it Cheech Ch- or was it Chong? I can't oh, remember now. Either way, yeah, nice little uh, running thing. So yes, uh, as mentioned in the intro, this was your selection. In, in yeah, <laughs> for you, you don't turn down from dusk till dawn. From contrast, uh, yeah, for contrast, and it's not a perfect film. It's flawed in many ways, but it's um so insanely likable and so insanely enjoyable. I'm 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 happy to forgive. Well, it's funny because uh, contrast. The reason why it works for contrast is you've got a contrast between characters, but the film itself it's contrasts itself <laughs> almost almost directly in the middle. Yeah. Um, it's just a bit p- past the middle, actually. But the film changes from fun, quirky, gangster... Uh, I don't know how else to describe it. Escape, cop escape, sort of chase drama. Yeah, sort of uh, your Texan chasing and police. Hostage. And you know, it just flips from that to absolutely unhinged fantasy vampire killing. I wouldn't even call it horror because it's just action. Um I- it's amazing. It, how brave and bold. It's amazing, and it, it so relentlessly just brushes away things that you would assume would have been set up for plot. Uh, like, for example, <laughs> uh, Quentin Tarantino's character, his extremely dark and twisted mind. You think that's going to be something important, but it was like, oh, no, forget about that. We've got vampires now. Yeah. In a, yeah. And I remember, I remember our um, college tutor, Mike West, not liking the film because of that. Oh, really? Yeah, I definitely remember him saying it's weird that it's two films mm. smashed together. I really like that. Um, I remember the first time I ever watched it, it was in a house party. Uh, me and my, my mate Dave, we'd, 
drunk possibly uh and we were just very tired anyway watching this and just breaking into hysterical laughter because of the accents oh, crazy. because right at the beginning you're in texas and there's one there's a texas ranger who's trying to goddamn and then i go down the thing and then goddamn on the radio goddamn i didn't even now even when we watched it the other day i didn't i didn't know what he's freaking saying <laughs> and we were concentrating and we were sober and it's like what there is you can sort of make out some quite important plot stuff going on, mm. but pff, whatever. And then later on, they stop in a motel, and there's just as you recover from giggling at the uh, the Texas Ranger, you then <laughs> meet the motel runner. He's turned right What the hell do you want? It's <laughs> it's it's silly. It's very silly. I, I think this film of of certainly of the old Tarantino mm. feels like it's referencing other films as well. Yeah. And the fact you've got Tom Savini in there is something. You've got Fred Williamson turns up later on, who is uh, the black exploitation guy. Yeah, that's awesome. Like he did all the big action films. He was in the original Inglorious Bastards and stuff. So he's a massive guy. Obviously, John Tatson. He's a legendary actor as well. Um, yeah, it's just like a mismatch. One of the characters has a reference to John Carpenter on yeah. his on his costume. It seems like this is a love letter to the films that came before. To everything. Because well, it isn't anything definable, truly definable in itself. But then it's got all these examples. Of, I mean, like, um, Tom Savini's involvement in itself is, like, another thing where you think, oh, okay, this is how much I love movies. They put a freaking special effects guru in there as well. Yeah, it's it's a funny thing because unlike, say, Kill Bill, or Inglourious Bastards especially, it doesn't. you don't notice that. No. And that might be because it's Robert Rodriguez instead of Tarantino. I didn't know it wasn't directed by Tarantino for years. Mm. I always assumed it was. But you can definitely see the, the mix of styles. Yeah. And see that Tarantino wrote the thing. Uh, very much so. That You can see that he wrote the thing. But there's, um, I mean, if you're just talking about the writing, like you can see Tarantino's trajectory. If you're comparing, like, maybe let's start with Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction and then go down to... Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He starts so fun. So fun and full of these such interesting characters. Yeah. And then there's like this transgression through Kill Bill where it's more serious, but it's still really fun and it's still... But it's kind of... You can see the influence of the old like um, Asian movies and the Westerns as well. And then transition to Inglourious Bastards, which is fictional, but still really fun. And then you go to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and it's really boring. Really, really Really, really boring. boring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is definitely my favourite error if we're talking Tarantino and not just Rodriguez. This is my favourite Tarantino. I era. would agree. Yes, there are some bits though we were like, oh Tarantino. Oh yeah. Well, Put he, it away. He. Um, I find it fascinating how every character he's ever written for himself is quite detestable. Like yeah, we were talking about this during the screening. Uh, the one character I can think of that isn't a bad guy. Although he is racist, mm. or at least uses racist terminology, he might not actually be racist, is in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Where he's just a bystander who just happens to have a garage. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he is really racist. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and the, the character that he wrote for himself in Reservoir Dogs is racist and annoying and a pain in the ass. He's always very chatty and talking yeah. really fast. And then he's like an Australian uh, slave hunter in Django Unchained. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, 
Yeah, so all he's so he's always loathsome, and this I mean this is his foot championship. This film. Yes, speaking of Mike West, our old tutor, he used to refer to Tarantino as a shrimper, <laughs> a term I've never heard in any other place. No. Um, and you can see that ten out of ten mm. for foot focusing fun times. I mean, I. I almost commend the bravery. He's like, okay, I've got Salma Hayek, an absolutely beautiful woman. What I'm going to do <laughs> is I'm going to have her bare foot. I'm going to get her to shove her foot in my mouth. And then she's going to pour whiskey down yep. her leg into my mouth. And then she's going to like dominantly kick my face away afterwards. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. So. And there's whole, there's a whole foot dialogue later on slightly in that scene um, with with, uh, Clooney I'm not going to drain you completely you'll be my slave because I don't think you're worthy of human blood you'll feed on the blood of stray dogs you'll be my footstool and at my command you lick the dog from my boot heel since you'll be my dog your new name will be Spot Welcome to slavery. No thanks. I already had a wife. Come on now. <laughs> Come on now, Quentin. Put it away. Put it away. Put it away. Um, but but if anyone who hasn't seen the film, let's give a little a little look at what actually happened, shall we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it opens on uh, Seth and Richard Gecko, played by uh, George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino. Seth is Clooney. He's just been busted out of prison. He's a professional crook. Uh, and he's been saved by his brother, um, who is less professional, but also just unhinged and yeah. mad. Um, we meet them when they're on the run. They've, they've been involved in a bank robbery. They took loads of money. They're on the run to Metro to meet with a, a criminal gangster who's promised to give them shelter. Yeah. That's that's their plot. Um, so we, we meet them in... Well, we don't need to talk about the amazing intro, but it is amazing. We we meet them mid heist again. Yeah, uh, in a, a petrol station, um, where it all just goes wrong, and we see very, very clearly, very quickly that Richard is um, paranoid. Yeah, he's violent, he's vicious, uh, and cruel. I think as well, whereas Seth's kind of frustrated with him. Um, they go onto the run again. They go into a motel uh, where they meet a family also going to Mexico. And because of the chaos that was the petrol station garage thing, uh, they decide that it's time to change their plan. So they, they see a giant... A Winnebago, would you say? Yeah, I guess Big so. Um, being driven by uh, Jacob. Jacob Fuller, played by Harvey Keitel, who's a former minister... He's the preacher who's lost his faith, isn't yes. he? He's that character, which is always such a lovely character. His wife died in a car crash, um, and he's now going on a holiday with his adopted son and daughter, or adopted daughter, I can't remember. Uh, I think she's his biological daughter. Yeah, so the, Kate Fuller, that's Juliet Lewis, mm. um, and the adopted son, Scott, uh, who's Chinese. Yep. Not Japanese. Not Japanese, as uh, George racially mispoints yes, out. Yes. Um, so Richard and Seth, they decide that these are the family that are going to get them over the border. So they basically take them hostage. Mm. 
take them hostage in the Winnebago to drive them over the border. They can get over because they can just hide in the back. And as long as uh, the family keeps their cool, they're not going to suspect anything. Uh, can I just say as well, it's a bit cheesy now, if it was in a film now. But George Clooney's catchphrase in this is pretty cool. Everybody be cool. You be cool. When the camera zooms. <laughs> yeah. oh, I love it. Seth is a professional criminal and he he sort of dominates the scene whenever he's in there. But he very quickly appears to gain some respect for Jacob. It's during their little um, dialogue, isn't it? When uh, just as they're about to get to customs and mm. Kyle at first... It's that, but also before when Seth basically kicks the door into their motel room mm. and it's like, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you can do this. And Jacob's like, no. Yeah, and. Is that, what? Like, Seth's surprised that someone's talking back to him. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, later on when they're when they're driving, they sort of have a a bonding scene. Yeah, um, Seth is trying to dig into why he's no longer like acting as a minister, and this is where we hear the backstory of Jacob and yeah. his wife and stuff. And then there's there that is there's some true understanding between them. And then even Kaitel says this is getting too close for comfort, isn't mm. it? And then, well, they're yeah. both the patriarchs of their own little, yeah, family unit. So obviously, Seth's got Richard to look after, who needs looking after. He needs looking after. Leave him alone. He will rape and brutally murder people. Yeah, he's a he's they they list him as a sex offender and violent crime. I can't remember now. Yeah, but he's an absolute monster. He's awful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even Seth acknowledges it. He's saying to Jacob, like, did you see the, see the way she, he was looking at your daughter? Yeah. Like. He's imagining her saying creepy things. Yeah. yeah it's, it's horrible. So would they get over the border and the place that um, the second, the first character, no, the second character that Cheech, the gangster who we don't meet till later on, hmm. has arranged that uh, Seth and Richard meet at the Titty Twister. Well, I think you've got a clip, haven't you? Well, yes, they've got something for sale, but it's a bit rude for broadcast, so I've made a little edit. Yes. Also was played by Cheech. Amazing. Well, so he's free people. He's free people. Oh my it? god! Yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? Uh, so yeah, so this is a this is a strip club bar for bikers and truckers only. Mm. Um, it's it's mad. It's it's crazy. You asked me during the screening whether I'd like to go there. Uh, <laughs> it's a yes. bit scary, but yeah. Um, but it's kind of like it's weird that it's set. In Mexico, because I said it was kind of like if anyone's seen the B movie Deathstalker, it's kind of got that <laughs> yeah. kind of medieval Dungeons and Dragons imaginary uh, tavern vibe going on. It's, it's despite bu- all the biker fights, it's bizarre. I suppose it's supposed to look like a cathedral, bearing mm. in mind the vampire stuff. But yeah, the outside is very, it's very Mexican. Lots of neon lights, lots of bikers doing 
donuts and things. But then the inside, as soon as you walk in, it looks like a, a meadery in mm. Cornwall where you yeah. eat chicken out of a basket. Uh, but yeah, it's got that kind of medieval vibe. People are fighting and drinking and watching women dance. Mm. Um, it might be a fun edit to put the Deathstalker music over it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where... We see it's up, everyone's happy, everyone's more relaxed now. Um, they're first, they're told not to drink there because they're not truckers or bikers. But as Jacob points out, the Winnebago he's got means he's technically a trucker. Yeah. So they're sort of they're growing two license or whatever. Absolutely, they're growing closer. Which, <laughs> and then it all sort of goes wrong. Yes. Um, there's a shootout. Someone dies, and then suddenly they're not dead. It all comes off the back of one of the most, well, it starts off as one of the most erotic sort of seduction scenes ever put to film. And then as we describe, it turns into Tarantino's brain. Um, But yeah, it it all kicks off. Uh, People die. And then, notably, Richard's hand gets stabbed. Mm. And blood is dripping from his wound. And Salma Hayek playing Santanico Pandemonium. Wonderful name. Uh, is distracted by it. Yes. She starts licking her lips and focusing on the dripping blood. And then they notice that one of the other wounds is dripping green blood from one of the guys. Oh, what could it all mean, Rob? It can only mean one thing. Vampires! Bizarre vampires. Zombie vampires that turn into big monsters. Yeah. <laughs> almost Buffy-esque makeup going on. Slash X-Files. It starts off... Time of the, yeah, time of the time, isn't it? definitely. I wonder if they're the same company. Because it starts off Buffy vampires, then they all start turning into animals. And yeah. Salma Hayek's character is like a snake, for yeah. example. Um, Sex machine is like a almost werewolfy, clawy thing. Oh, well, let's get on to Sex Machine, shall we? So, yes, the, the, the bar is full of... Characters. Characters. Um, you've got Sex Machine played by Tom Savini, who's a, who's a biker, mm. with uh, a wonderful contraption. A very phallic gun in his groin, <laughs> with two... Uh, what did you call those things? Uh, loaders? Yeah. <laughs> the, Whatever you put the, the bullets yes. in. We're English, sorry. Yeah, we sorry, don't what, everyone. We don't know what guns do. Um, <laughs> he's got a, it's a, a trap door opens up on his groin and a gun flips up. It's amazing. It's amazing and ridiculous. Apparently that was used in Desperado. Oh, I haven't seen before. Desperado in many no, a year. Me if he's, what, so he's a recurring character? No, I think that, that gadget was seen right. before. Right, oh, that's amazing. Um, he also uses the whip yeah. quite effectively. So he's an interesting guy. He's an arsehole. I mean, he takes the guy's beer with the whip, and <laughs> yeah. then the guy's like, hey, give me my beer back. And he's like, well, I'm going to shoot you with my penis gun. Yeah. It's like, well, okay. Yep. Uh, we've got we've got Frost, who's a Vietnam vet. Yeah. That's played by Fred Williamson, who's just hard. Mm. He's just a hard man. Hard man. Smokes cigars and drinks whiskey. Uh, who else have we got? We've got... Oh, Danny, Danny Trejo's in it as the barman. Coolest barman ever. I would love him to pour me a strong uh, spirit of some sort. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that. Imagine having his respect. I'll get you the best whiskey in the house. He doesn't sound like that at all. But that's what I imagine he'd do. <laughs> yes. He's got some great little facial he does. things going on. Uh, yeah, so we've got these these bizarre characters, these the weird mis- mismatch of guys. 
he will fight back against the vampires. Um, they all quite quickly accept what's going on. Yeah. Like, it, it, it doesn't matter what's going on as long as they have a chance to fight. They're like, well, I guess I better, yeah, better get my knuckles up. Like, it. Frost flips the table, picks vampires up, and drops them on the table legs. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, Sets Machines quite quickly works out what's going on as well. Um, Seth keeps saying that he doesn't believe in vampires, but knows exactly how to beat them yeah. as well. It's a, it's amazing. It's very action-packed. And there's also these moments of really bright comedy in that as well. Just after they've killed all the vampires and it's all settled down, they're the only survivors. And just sort of there's a line, throwaway line, shouldn't they just burn up or something? And then immediately... Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, they all melt into into bits. The effects are genuinely incredible. They're so much fun. Um, and then, yeah, so what we're left is the group of survivors trying to survive the night from dusk till dawn. Yeah, hence the title. Hence and they the did title. say it in the film, didn't they? They did they say did. from dusk till dawn. And uh, so you've got Jacob, who's the, the preacher, who they use his powers, his magical powers, to defeat the vampires. It... They even tie in the whole film reference thing in the actual story where they're all trying to work out how to kill vampires. Mm. All right, now that we all agree that we're dealing with vampires, what do we know about vampires? Crosses hurt vampires. Do we have a cross? In the motor home. In other words, no. Wait a second. I mean, just look around. We got crosses all over the place. All you got to do is put two sticks together. You got a cross. Yeah, he's right. Peter Cushing does that all the time. Okay, I'll buy that. So we got crosses covered. What else? Wooden stakes in the heart been working pretty good so far. And garlic, sunlight, holy water. I'm not sure. Doesn't silver have something to do with vampires? That's werewolves. I, I know silver bullets are werewolves, but I'm sure silver has something to do with vampires. Well, does anybody have any silver? Okay, then who cares? It's just the funnest film. It's so uh, much fun. Filling up condoms with holy water. Yeah. That sticks in my head. I think that's a really awesome thing. Mm. Weirdly, I felt this memory of them carving crosses into bullets too. Yeah, but I, that is in something. It's in something else. Maybe Blade or something, I don't know. Could be Blade. Or Vampires, mm. John Carpenter. Um, so yeah, so we it's an action-packed, quite comedic. Would you say it's a comedy? Uh, It's not a... Co- it's got... It's a hybrid, isn't it? Somewhere between comedy and action horror. By the end, it just releases all tension and seriousness. When there's bullet holes in the built in the bar mm. that shine onto a mirror ball, oh, which yeah. spins and shines sunlight and burns up the yeah, that's ridiculous. It's, I absolutely love it. It's great, and it's something that we see more and more rarely these days. Films like this, and um, I would welcome more of its kind back. Yes. Did you ever see the tr- the sequels? Uh, I remember one of them being a turd. Yeah. They went... I think they went serious again, but kept the vampire stuff. I remember... I think the sequ- the second one, it's a bank heist. Right. And there's a bit where there's just vampires standing in a line being shot at by the police. Oh. And they're all not dying. Yeah. Meh. Nah, I'm happy with this one. I'm happy yeah, with this one. It's a very well-picked contrast film, Rob. Oh, thanks, Adam. Well I couldn't done. have uh, done it without you. Thank you for helping <laughs> me choose. Uh, is this one to go into our Hall of Fame? Do you know what? Yes. I think it's proud. I would be proud to have it on the Hall of Fame because it's a very silly film. Um, and yeah, we need, to, we need to make more of a big deal about that. I we think. need to remember which ones we've picked. As yeah, well. we need to like write them all down and have a, have a growing list. 
Mm. Mm. I might just do that. Yeah. Right. My pick then for the next film. I've chosen the book Colony by Rob Grant. Oh, one of the Red Dwarf men. Yes, one of the very fun, the the funny one. The funny let's face one. it. Right. Uh, so I'm gonna flick through the page. Rob's gonna tell me to stop, and I'm gonna go down the page. Rob's gonna tell me to stop, and the word we land on would be the next film. Uh, stop. Stop. Leather. Ooh. Yes. That's that's Ooh. got it. Got it in one. Got it in one. So the sentence is. Leather seats with fold-away tables and, incredibly, cup holders on the arms. Well, well, well. Leather. So, from feet to leather, we are getting dirty, aren't the we? Sm- <laughs> if you want to go down that way. <laughs> <laughs> the smile on Rob's face. Oh. Filthy. I did just get that Sado, that horrible film, Salo. Oh, God. Has that got leather in it? I don't know. There's only one way to find out. <laughs> cool. We're becoming seedy. No, we're not. No, no, no. It's, it's nice leather. It's nice leather. It's just um, cowboy Shame we've done chaps. Mad Max already. Next game reviews. Streets of Rage 4. On Thursday, the 30th of April, 2020, just three days ago at the time of recording, Dotemu, Lizard Cube, and Guard Crush Games released Streets of Rage 4, 26 years after the release of Streets of Rage 3. 26 years. Now, although I may be just shy of 31, I was not too young for Streets of Rage. I grew up with the Sega Mega Drive, and once I was old enough to understand how a controller works, I absolutely rinsed the heck out of the first two games. Some of my earliest memories, let alone gaming memories, are of Axel and Blaze. We didn't own a copy of the third one, but I have played it a number of times since. So, on a personal level, the announcement that a fourth Streets of Rage game was coming left me with a very strong mixture of anticipation and fear. Anticipation that I would get to jump into the over-the-top crime-infested lives of these characters that could only come from a 90s video game, and fear that, as so often happens with games nowadays, the developer would find a way to screw it up. So on April 30th, I had a bit of a Streets of Rage day. I played my way through all three games for what can only be the hundredth time, but for the first time in many, many years, and then booted up Streets of Rage 4. My decision to play through the first three games was largely influenced by whatever issues they were having with getting the game to actually release. They gave us this weird timeline of when the game would be available to download on each platform, and then when those times eventually arrived, it didn't actually happen. Luckily, by the time I had finished Streets of Rage 3, the long-awaited fourth instalment was available to download on my Xbox. It's actually very difficult to put into words the feelings I had from the moment that music started. I mean, I could use words such as giddy, wistful, excited, elated, and all are true, but so is maniacal. No, I don't understand it either. It took me roughly three hours to play my way through the main story. I chose Axel for my first run through, it just felt right, then Blaze for my second bash at it. I have yet to play as the rest, but believe me I will. Every punch, every kick, every uppercut, every pile drive, every throw, every beatdown, every second of Streets of Rage 4 is an unashamed delight. For one thing, the game feels incredible. 
It's almost identical to the original trilogy. They've upgraded from a two-button control system to a four-button system to keep up with current technology, but to be honest you barely notice it. You can even flick the game to the old two-button system if you want, that's how simple the controls are. But this is definitely one of those easy-to-play, difficult-to-master games, as there is a surprising amount you can actually do with such a simple button system. The boss battles are ridiculously hard the first time you take them on, but after a few tries you start to notice the tricks to beat them. Just like the original games, this is there to challenge you, and in order to beat the game you have to die a few times. Each time you replay a stage you learn different signposts to alert you to oncoming threats, figure out where to position yourself with each unique enemy, and what moves work best. Just like the originals, each stage is like learning how to play a song. You memorise each part of the stage in segments, failing here and there until eventually you can complete a whole stage without failing at all. Then you play it again, and again, and again, and again, until eventually you feel like an absolute master. The main change from the originals is that you can actually juggle the enemies to build up your combat score and get higher ratings. The higher ratings don't do too much, other than give you a higher score at the end. The score system isn't meaningless though, as you build up your overall score you can unlock characters from Streets of Rage 1, 2 and 3, and they look exactly as they did back then, no graphical upgrades here, oh no. Talking of graphics, this game looks undeniably beautiful. The detail of each level is exceptional, throwing in little easter eggs here and there for die-hard fans to spot and clap at and the overall art style is visually stunning, right up there with the likes of Cuphead, Forgotten Anne and Ape Out. The music score is fantastic, the soundtrack from the original trilogy were what made them stand out from their competition at the time, establishing Yuzo Koshiro as a legend in the industry, and the fourth instalment is no different. There are a couple of Koshiro's own tracks in there, but it's also been handed over to a new generation of artists who clearly understand exactly what a Streets of Rage soundtrack should be. The story is nonsensical in a mad way, exactly as it should be. Again, if you're a die-hard fan, you'll be well into it, but if you've only dabbled or never played a Streets of Rage game before, you'll have no idea what's going on, but you will absolutely not give two hoots. This game is not really about the story, and it should never be. Streets of Rage 4 is available on Steam, PS4 and Xbox One. It's also free to play today through Xbox Game Pass for console and PC, so I implore every single one of you to go and play it right now. It will take no time at all to download as it's a very small file size, it will take you 3 hours or less to play through the story with whichever character you choose, and it will be the most fun you will have with a video game this generation. Stream Bucket Film Fest. The... The finalists. Yes, the finalists. finalists. Well, the winners. Yeah, the winners. (laughs) So we did have um, loads of people submit, more than we kind of expected. Although some people, Ed, Dave, Joel, there's a Joel who was supposed to enter. Where's the movies? Anyway, but anyway. um, So we've had quite an interesting range of films as well. There were some that were more sentimental. Yep. um, That were really awesome. There were some that were uh, horrific. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, lots of weird noises and dark and gloomy. Um, and some that were just fun. Yeah. So, so we had um, Rainbow. That was a stop-motion Lego-based 
uh, short film. Which was really fun, and it was this slowly the levels of the rainbow being made bigger, the little, being pulled in by penguins and things. Yeah, 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 <laughs> the psychic penguin. Yeah. It felt like an advert. I felt like I would have seen that on TV. It yeah. was really nice. It's like a Waitrose sort of thing. Yeah, it was an ins- a hope-inspiring during these dark times video. Absolutely. Nice. nice little soundtrack as well. We had uh, House Cat that I think deserves to be higher rated, but sadly was over the two-minute threshold yes um but it had some real highs it was all about a man's trapped in uh repetitive lockdown a la and groundhog day a la groundhog day and it had the immortal line uh what was it <laughs> the interesting here's an interesting thing about norfolk he's flicking through the tv channels and here's an interesting fact about norfolk change channel that <laughs> <laughs> made us laugh out loud yeah um yeah really really good really awesome but sadly just crossed over the threshold but we have we actually have three winners yes because we couldn't choose between them um all of them brilliant uh, but these three really really top the biscuit yes as no sure. one's ever said before so what was number three so three was lego lockdown which was an incredible stop motion really well thought out like um intricately executed about um a lego man going through the weeks of lockdown step by step he's looking out he's he's gazing upon the effects of coronavirus from outside of his window okay, so you've got the first you see the rush for the shops people uh panicking buying toilet roll and bread and things mm. dropping the bread sadly there's a baguette oh, a no. loose baguette no. uh then we've got the second week where police are doling out fines to dirty little hoodies yeah so not social distancing and then a body is taken oh, out of yeah. house. That's cool. That took us by surprise, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was like a genuinely dark turn. <laughs> Ambulance arrives and takes an old man out. It's got a rear window vibe. Mm. You've got the main characters looking out at this beautiful blonde yes. across the way. Uh, yeah, and it ended on a on a again a quite a surprising sentimental clap for the NHS. Yeah, it was lovely. Very good. Well done, Gavin. It's, yeah, definitely. You must have a lot of Lego in your house to pull that off. Oh, don't even. Don't even ask. Okay. <laughs> we saw pictures of uh, behind the scenes on Twitter. Have a look on there. This is quite amazing. Uh, number two is Punishment by Sergey. I want to say that's how you say his name. Uh, one of our international audience, mm. our Russian uh, entry. Punishment, he entered a couple of films, all of them ranging from horrific to confusing. Mm. Uh, this landed really well. This is a a man being punished for his crimes in life by presumably Satan, mm. some sort of demon. But this was, of all of them, probably the most cinematic and filmmakery yeah. film. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really well done. The head removal and the sort and of thing. up afterwards is really well done. And the shadow, yeah, really interesting. Um, all black and white, all dark and, and gloomy. But yeah, I think that came across really well. Yeah, no, I loved it. Really good. Uh, and then finally, of our winners... Of our winners, Beg, Burrow, Steel. Beg, Burrow and Steel, I think. Beg, Burrow and Steel. Uh, a Rabbit's Tale. Mm. This is on here because it made us laugh. Yeah, it's, it was definitely the funniest one. And um, it had a great story. It featured a, a rabbit gangster <laughs> destroying the lives of two besotted bananas. Yes, and stealing all their money. Yeah, and it was, well, it was great. <laughs> it's probably the shortest of our entries as well. Yeah. <laughs> but it really got the message across. Yeah, it was uh, a great tale. And that's by uh, Pete Allergies. All of all the three we've mentioned, so Beg, Borrow and Steal, Punishment 
and Lego Lockdown. All three will be winning a signed Quaggers poster. Um, we're going to work out how to send out something Quaggers related. Absolutely. Um, either the film, tickets for the premiere or something else. And like I say, if you want to watch them yourselves, just go to our Holodell Media 2 YouTube channel and they're all there for you to watch. Uh, let us know if we get got our selection wrong. If you think it's undeserving, and we will ignore it. Yes, we will. And, um, <laughs> we, we, yeah, honestly, we couldn't be more thankful and grateful for all of the entrants. They were so much fun to watch. Yes. And um, this will not be the first time. We will be doing more contests in the future. Absolutely. So, yes, watch this space. There'll be more competitions. One we've got sort of planned, but we'll discuss that later on, shall we? Yes. Cool. Green Bucket, Adam and Rob. Welcome to Fortnite Schmortnight. And going to start on a bit of a sad note, um, I'm sure many of our listeners will be aware of the passing of Sam Lloyd, who is most famous for playing Ted in the amazing TV series Scrubs. Mm. Lloyd passed away at the age of 56, 16 months after learning he had an inoperable brain tumour, which is horrible. Um, Scrubs is something I haven't come back to in years and years and years, but I do remember him being at the centre of some of the funniest moments on the show, especially with his relationship with Chief of Medicine, Dr. Bob Kelso. Yes, he was a character that um, was very throwaway at the beginning, but then got bigger and bigger. Yeah. I mean, he's so funny. He He, he was was so pathetic, wasn't he? And he had the barbershop. Yeah, the barbershop quartet. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. See, I thought he was all right. (laughs) <laughs> he didn't look healthy. No. Um, May I want? I was talking to Nick about this. I wonder if I remember hearing about that he had the brain tumor. Right. And that's what I'm thinking of. But yeah. Oh, okay, maybe that's that. Yeah. He um, I, so, I someone had posted a video on Reddit of him. So uh, eventually in the series, sorry if this is a spoiler. If you are watching Scrubs and don't want to know what happens, cover your ears now. When Elliot and JD finally get married. Do um, they get married? In this clip I saw, because I don't remember it. I don't remember it happening at all. I don't know when this happened. There was a... They're, they're on a scrubs. beach. She's wearing a wedding dress. Oh, really? So I'm assuming that they did. Well, it's an American sitcom. You always get the girl. Everything yeah. goes well. You become a but he's, professional. But he's singing an acoustic rendition of Hey Ya by Outkast. Oh, I... D- I kind of remember that. Beautiful and wonderful, and everyone's hooking up, like all the couples and stuff. I remember that. Yeah, and it's so nice, and yeah, it's sad that he's gone. But um, yes. yeah, rest in peace. Rest in peace, Sam Lloyd. Now, onto other stuff. A first poster for director Josh Trank's upcoming Al Capone movie has surfaced. Ooh. The film that, surprise, surprise, features Tom Hardy in a titular role, centres around Capone's final days in prison as his mind decays as a result of the neurosyphilis he has contracted. In the movie, Capone will feature grisly flashbacks from his past, with the film itself using the tagline, we all pay for our crimes in the end. So, yeah, Tom Hardy, he's played the Cray Brothers, he played Alfie Solomons in Peaky Blinders, who's based on a real gangster. Yeah. He's racking up the gangsters. Interesting. Josh Trank is an interesting man. Yeah? He's had three films under his belt, including this one, uh, and none of them have done well. <laughs> he's done, he did the new Fantastic Four. He famously, Ooh. famously, his, uh, his blighted career... It, basically, he made a good film. Yeah. And... Studios picked him up and gave him Fantastic Four. Right. And then they had second thoughts while he was doing it and meddled with it so much that he got famously trashed the trailer, hated everything, darkest time of his life. 
Um, I think eventually he was kicked off. Uh, and now he's got this. So this, I hope this is a passion project. I hope for his benefit. Yeah. I hope this is something you went, actually, what, I don't want to do superheroes. What do I want to do? Yeah. So I'm watching his career interest with interest, I think. Yeah, kind of rooting for him because he did have an idea, his idea of what the Fantastic Four was meant to be. They just turned it into the most colorless, um, sta- bog standard. I think what superhero he, I think what ever. he wanted it to be was like the thing. Right. He wanted to do a sort of David Cronenberg horror sort of thing. Oh, it should be so much cooler. But they 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 freaked out and sort of added extra stuff and just made it a mess. Because on paper, like you have to do something like that with the Fantastic Four. Because in my opinion. They're boring. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? And for him, if he had an idea, it's a shame that he didn't get to materialise it. Well, why hire him? Yeah. Anyway, anyway, whole other topic. Um, This is funny because I heard you speaking with Josh about this the other day. Christopher Lloyd has reflected on his favourite scene from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and it's the horrible one. (laughs) Speaking on a Disney Q&A on Twitter, Lloyd said, I kind of like the scene where I pick up the little screaming shoe that's crying for its life, and I put him into the dip. I know that is mean and cruel, and a lot of people said it gave them nightmares. Yeah, that's a traumatising... Horrible. Famously traumatising. I hate it. I couldn't understand it as a kid, because I'd never seen anything so brutal. Yeah. He said, well, some of the first Disney films we ever saw, like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, there was always something horrible done then, and I would have nightmares, so it's kind of a payback. <laughs> okay, interesting. Yeah. So, like, yeah, that really was a brutal scene. It, yeah, it's... Uh, th- that's a. I do love that film because it is it. It is a film noir. Yeah. It's oh the, yeah. It's totally. a really really good film noir. It just happens to also have cartoon characters. It's a vice, isn't it? So you've got these weird like bright moments, but then most of it's quite like a detective story. We will one hundred percent be reviewing that one day. Oh yeah. About it's Shadow of the one of my favorite films ever. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg are planning an animated adult adaption of the podcast Bubble. Bubble centers around three friends who find work by using a monster hunting app called Hunter, which sounds quite cool. Mm. Uh, have you heard of this podcast? No, I haven't. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of Sausage Party. I didn't think it was very funny. But um, this is apparently going to appeal to fans of Rick and Morty and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is a good combination. Yeah. Now, the only I'm, I'm worried about that because there's been attempts at doing Buffy recently, and they're all rubbish. Mm. Yeah, you'd have to get it right, and I worry that... Actually, if it's a podcast, it should be quite good. Yeah. Because if it's still got that episodic feel, Monster yeah, of the Week... If they can, yeah, if they can do it like well like that. And they've, they've got the guy who produced on Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, okay, interesting. And Venom, Matt Tomek, so... Do you know, I still, haven't, I still haven't watched that. No. It's on my list. Oh, which one? Venom? Venom. Uh, it's okay. I'll I've heard it. it's a really good buddy... Comedy, buddy cop yeah. comedy sort of thing. Yeah, but it's not great. Yeah, okay. Uh, and finally, according to Deadline, Toy Story 4 director Josh Cooley is on board to helm an animated Transformers prequel. <laughs> I did hear about this. In 2015, <laughs> there was a writer's room in which the past of Megatron and Optimus's relationship was explored and what initially caused a rift between the Autobots and the Decepticons. But now it seems that due to coronavirus has had time to oversee the new draft of the script. Interesting. Every cloud. Yeah, so oh. you're the Transformers fan. Do you want it? Do you not want it? I. They've tried to do that before and I've never been that pleased with... They've, the live action turned them into brothers. Nah. Oh. Nah. Uh, another one made them best friends. Nah. 
but still would like to see it. I need to get a writing job on Transformers. How do I do that? How do I get from here to there? Um, breathe heavily down a microphone and send them pictures of your merch collection. <laughs> I don't even have that much. I just love the story. Like, oh, no, 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 you've got you've got Autobots intercepted there. You've got Mr. Potato Head Optimus Prime somewhere. You've got a, a book. You've got multiple books. I do have multiple books. Yeah, you've got all of the Transformers things. And I, and I love it. I need to find out how to do that. Mm. Mm. But what you should do is this. Someone let me. Someone tell me. <laughs> Actually, the artist of the game I'm working on does Transformers. I'm really? talk to him. Anyway, yeah. Um, I just want to add on to the Fortnite Fortnite. There is currently, I think it's got another two weeks left, um, a Kickstarter campaign for... It's called In Search of Tomorrow. It's a 1980s sci-fi documentary series. It's by the guys who did the In Search of Nightmares, I think it was called, which was a very... Very high-profile 80s horror documentary. If you are at all interested in 80s sci-fi films, um, look this up on Kickstarter. It looks incredible. Um, I've backed it already. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that looks, that looks neat. That looks pretty cool. Um, it's all about you know the, how the film industry was pointing in a different direction, how things influenced each other. Um, yeah, so if you're interested at all, look up in search of tomorrow on kickstarter yes cool adam's film reviews we need to talk about ai 2020 it's happening if an alien spaceship was approaching earth and it was 25 years away we would be mobilized to prepare for that alien's arrival 25 years from now but that's exactly the situation that we're in with artificial intelligence we have no reason to believe that it will have goals that align with ours. There are people within the AI community who, who wish I would shut up. The idea of weaponized AI, I think, is terrifying. If Facebook or Google wanted to start an army... It could be the end of humanity. The first person to develop strong artificial intelligence will rule the world. Will AI change our lives for the better? That is the question that brings philosophers and scientists Two blows. Marking your screen bucket first, we need to talk about AI as a New Zealand-produced documentary by acclaimed filmmaker Leanne Pooley on the topic of artificial intelligence in the modern world. And I'm going to review it because I watched it. Framed as a debate between philosophers, scientists, filmmakers and more, we need to talk about AI as narrated by Keir Doola, famous as Dave in 2001 A Space Odyssey, who keeps mysteriously referring to his battle with Hal as if we're still living in the Kubrick film. But anyway, yes, we need to talk about AI is, in essence, a debate between two sides. Topics include the trolley problem, in which the question is raised that if an automated car had to choose between killing the driver or swerving into a theoretical playground of children, which would it choose? A strong emphasis is also placed on the concept of efficiency versus beneficial decisions made by artificial general intelligence such as if we were to command an AI to create world peace wouldn't the simplest solution be wiping out humanity also covered are the topics of artificial warfare, the the theoretical singularity and whether artificial intelligence might just surpass humanity what I'm saying is as glossy and as fancy as this documentary is, balanced it is not While we do have a fairly even split between supporters and detractors of artificial intelligence, 
the way the film tells it does not project much confidence in the idea. One of the interviewees is James Cameron, whose appearance in the documentary is inevitably framed by the harrowing future war sequences from Terminator and Terminator 2. One sequence in particular throws balance out of the window by discussing the growing sex robot industry. Silicon replicas of beautiful, perfect people, which the film accompanies with terrifying drones and slow zooms into the dead, pleading eyes of the sets machines as one of the interviewees discusses the agony of installing sentience into a machine and not giving it the ability to say no. It's absolutely terrifying. Another sequence covers Baby X, a virtual baby that was built from the virtual brain up. This isn't just a Pixar creation, this has been built so when the baby smiles, it isn't just a simulation, it's a response to the tightening of the virtual muscles around the virtual mouth that have been signalled by the virtual brain having been injected by virtual cyber dopamine. The creator smiles like a proud father, but his discoveries are bookended by fears of humanity being wiped out and replaced by creations exactly like this. I understand the film's message, so this is something we need to be discussing, but the documentary itself just feels more like a warning. We see lots of references to evil machines, but where's the friendly robots? Where's the neutral computer systems that help and benefit us? Well, we might have Gertie from 2009's Moon. We see Hal. Well, we might have Red Dwarf's Crichton or Star Trek The Next Generation's Data. We have The Terminator or Tobar the Great. This film is available for purchase on iTunes, Amazon Prime and more. And while this is a worthy part of the conversation, this won't sell you on the idea of artificial intelligence. We may just be here to give birth to the child of this machine civilization. We don't have a plan and we don't realise it's necessary to have a plan. And that was the show! That was it. That's done. That is it is over. It is over for another fortnight. Another fortnight, yes. So next time we'll be discussing the leather film. Yes. Leather creaky leather. Oh. Uh until then, if you want to follow us at Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Hollowdale Media, and please help support us in, our, in these trying and confusing times, um, any support given would be very, very welcome. Absolutely. Um, just for us, price of a cup of coffee, uh, and just help us continue making great content. Um, do also follow us at screen underscore bucket on Twitter, and at Hollowdale Media, Twitter and Instagram. Um... Is that about it? That's all that's left to say um, for this week. Um, from dusk till dawn. From dusk. Dead by dawn. Dead by dawn. All right. Yes, have a great one, guys. Um, stay safe, and we'll see you in a fortnight. Yes, see you in a fortnight, guys. Thanks very much. Bye.